our scripture reading this morning, we turn to the word of God, to the prophecy of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36. We'll read the first 24 verses of this chapter, and I call your attention to especially verses 20 and following, and even beginning earlier in verse 16, where the Jews from Judah who have been taken captive have profaned the name of God. But we'll begin reading at verse 1, Ezekiel chapter 36. Also thou, son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel, and say, Ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because the enemy hath said against you, Aha, even the ancient high places are ours in possession, Therefore prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God, because they have made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side, that ye might be a possession unto the residue of the heathen, and ye are taken up in the lips of talkers and are an infamy of the people. Therefore, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains to the hills, and to the rivers, and to the valleys, to the desolate wastes, and to the cities that are forsaken, which became a prey and derision to the residue of the heathen that are round about. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen and against all Idumea which have appointed my land into their possession with the joy of all their heart, with despiteful minds, to cast it out for a prey. Prophesy, therefore, concerning the land of Israel, and say unto the mountains, and to the hills, to the rivers, and to the valleys, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury, because ye have borne the shame of the heathen. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I have lifted up mine hand. Surely the heathen that are about you, they shall bear their shame. But ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn unto you, and ye shall be tilled and sown. And I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it. And the cities shall be inhabited, and the wastes shall be builded. And I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates, and will do better unto you than at your beginnings, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Yea, I will cause men to walk upon you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess thee, and thou shalt be their inheritance, and thou shalt no more henceforth bereave them of men. Thus saith the Lord God, because they say unto you, 
thou land devourest up men and hast bereaved thy nations, therefore thou shalt devour men no more, neither bereave thy nations any more, saith the Lord God. Neither will I cause men to hear in thee the shame of the heathen any more, neither shalt thou bear the reproach of the people any more, neither shalt thou cause thy nations to fall any more, saith the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way, And by their doings, their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore, I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings. I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whether they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. It's on the basis of this text, Ezekiel 36 and others like it, that becomes the basis for the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 36. Lord's Day 36 of the Heidelberg Catechism, question 99. What is required in the third commandment? That we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And, briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us, and be glorified in all our words and works. Is the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? It undoubtedly is, for there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name 
And therefore he has commanded that this sin to be punished with death. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, all of the commandments in the law of God are perfectly arranged and show a relationship, and we have that in the order of the beginning commandments. The first commandment tells us who it is that we are to worship. We are to worship the one true and living God. The second commandment tells us how we, are to, how we are to worship him, namely only as God has prescribed in his word and not any other way, not by graven images. And then now this morning, the third commandment gives us the content of our worship. And the content of our worship is to worship the one true living God who has revealed his name unto us. The violation of this third commandment is something that's very common in our culture and in our society. It's all around us. Breaking the commandment in its, in its grossest forms, unashamedly using God's name in an irreverent way, taking God's name in vain, taking Jesus' name in vain, taking the name of God, of God upon your lips in the form of an oath, swearing that you will tell the truth, and then lying. So that's perjury. That's next week, Lord's Day 37. But it's very easy, even for us as the people of God, to become very used to the transgression of this commandment whether we read it in a magazine, whether we hear it by others with whom we work. And what happens over time, with all of that exposure to the breaking of this commandment, is that we're not as shocked and startled as we first were with the constant exposure to God's name being taken in vain. And we become dull. We become desensitized to it. And then perhaps it might happen that in the course of our sitting down in front of the television or watching videos on the internet and God's name is taken in vain, not once, but over and over again. And all of a sudden it hits us and we say, what am I listening to? What am I watching? And, and, and what am I doing? And so let's be reminded, people of God, that this violation of this commandment, this is no light thing. This is a very serious matter, so serious that the catechism uses such words as, as sin in question 100. So heinous a sin, a sin that is so heinous that God's wrath is kindled against that person who takes his name in vain. So serious a matter is this, that answer 100 says that there's no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name, and therefore has commanded 
this sin to be punished with death. But let's keep this in mind too, that one can transgress this third commandment not only by actively committing those sins that we've already spoken of, cursing, perjury, swearing, but it's possible to break this commandment simply by by doing nothing when it's in our power to stop others from taking God's name in vain or to speak up and yet we do nothing and we keep silent. And then not only that person has taken God's name in vain, but also we have become partakers of that sin by our silence. And yet the third commandment is broader yet than the things that we've just mentioned. Because we read about this in Ezekiel chapter 36, the people of Judah, having been carried away into captivity, because this was the time period of Ezekiel's prophecy when the people of God from Jerusalem have been taken captive into Babylon, and now they were guilty of profaning God's holy name. That's what verse 20 says. And when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. And then the next verse, verse 21, but I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Now, how did the, how did the Jews profane the holy name of God? Well, the idea isn't that when the Jews were being carried captive into Babylon, that the Babylonians were listening to the Jews and all along the way that the Jews were cursing the name of God and taking God's name in vain and using all of these vile words regarding the name of God. No, that's not the idea. That's not how the Jews took God's name in vain, but rather the very fact that Judah now has been taken captive into Babylon serves as the occasion for the Babylonians to profane the name of God. So that verse 20, these are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land. That's what the Babylonians were saying about the Jews. The Babylonians were saying the God of the Jews wasn't able to keep his people, supposedly, in his own land. And in that way, God's name was taken in vain because of the sins of the Jews. Well, let's consider this Lord's Day in Ezekiel 36. We take as our theme, using God's name rightly. Let's take note first, the meaning of God's name. Secondly, the holiness of God's name. And then finally, the love of that God has for his own name, using God's name rightly. Now, the third commandment states, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. God has a name. And that name is very important to God. Our names, even, are very important to us And we know how it feels when somebody else would take our name or our last name 
and speak evil of it and drag our names through the mud. And we don't like that. That hurts because our names represent us and who we are and what we are like. Well, from a spiritual point of view, the same is true of God. His name is very precious to him, and he demands that we use it rightly. And so what is the name of God? As the third commandment has it, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, the name of God is very broad. The name of God includes all of the proper names of God. And the outstanding name of God that the Bible uses is the name Jehovah. And every time the KJV uses the word Lord, but in the Old Testament, in all capital letters, that's the name of God, Jehovah. And that's how the third commandment reads, thou shalt not take the name Jehovah, thy God, in vain. And that name Jehovah reveals our God to be the self-sufficient God who is, does not rely upon anyone or anything else for his existence, but he is the God who is unchanging, perfectly self-sufficient, faithful to his covenant. That's the name Jehovah. And then there are so many other names, proper names of God, whether it's the name God or Lord or Lord of hosts, the Almighty One, and all kinds of names that the Bible has, and these are the proper names of God. But now the name of God includes more than simply the proper names of God that we read in the Bible. The name of God is also set before us every single day as we survey the creation round about us. And that's what the word of God declares in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. What does that mean? It means that creation testifies to the name of God so that every tree, every animal, every mountain, Every ocean declares to us something of the name of God, declares to us something of the power of God, of the wisdom of God. And that tells us then that the name of God is set forth in all the attributes of God. So that in Psalm 11 we read, Holy and reverend is his name. God's name, then, is the revelation of his majesty, of his omnipotence, of his unchanging covenant mercies, so that when we are instructed not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain, we are to think of all of those perfections and all of those attributes of God. This is his name. But even more, the preeminent way that God makes known his name unto us is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the name of God. 
That name, Jesus, reflects it. It's a combination of two words, Jehovah and salvation. And that's why the angel said to Joseph, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why Jesus? This is why, because he shall save his people from their sins. But Jesus is the name of God. And that tells us that without Jesus, we would not know the name of God. And therefore, God himself, without Jesus, the name Jehovah, beautiful name that that is, but without Jesus, that name Jehovah would be a strange name. It would be a very empty name. Without Jesus, we would not know the love and the mercy and the faithfulness of God because Jesus is full revelation of Jehovah God. Now, understanding the name of God, that helps us to identify all the abuse of God's name in our day and age. Because the violation of the third commandment comes this way. When you take that name of God and you speak evil of it and you speak of it untruthfully, and you use that holy, reverent name of God in a very careless way, a flippant way, a frivolous way. All of that is to blaspheme the name of God. And that's what happened earlier in the Old Testament in Leviticus 24. We're familiar with this history, that son of an Israelite woman and an Egyptian man, Leviticus 24, verse 11, says that this man blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. So that man spoke evil of Jehovah God himself, and, and not in a roundabout way, but in a very direct way, in a very explicit way. And this was something that was astounding for Moses. And, and, and he didn't know what to do with such a horrible sin that he had to go to God. And God made it clear to Moses, he that blasphemeth the name of God shall be surely put to death. And that man was stoned. He took God's name in vain. And that's why the Heidelberg Catechism says no sin is more provoking to God than the profaning of his name. Now, that's not to say that God ignores other sins, but simply from the point of view of the punishment deserved, touching God himself, as it were, touching his holy name. And in the Old Testament, when this was the, the, this, for Moses, was something he didn't know what to do when confronted with such a sin, but the immediate sentence of God was that person shall be surely put to death. This is a sin, this abuse and blasphemy of God's name. It's a sin that takes place all around us in the, in the New Testament as well. When the world ridicules the name of God, 
as that name of God is declared to us in creation, because God's name is in creation. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. The creation sets forth the wisdom and the power of God. The, the creation, the world says that creation simply came into being by Big Bang billions of years ago. That's how the world came into existence. That's blasphemy. That denies the name of God. The teaching of evolution is, is not some innocent science theory that just got it wrong. The teaching of evolution is a direct assault on the name of God. Because Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Evolution says there is no name of God in creation. There is no God of power. There is no God of wisdom who fashioned and ordered all things. And that is blasphemy. The teaching of evolution profanes the name of God. But then further, you remember the preeminent way that God reveals his name is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means, therefore, that any assault on the Lord Jesus Christ is an assault on the name of God. God's own name is abused and blasphemed when men and women and children today reject Jesus Christ and do not believe in Jesus Christ because Jesus is the name of God. And God reveals himself through Jesus Christ. And then further, all the content of Holy Scripture declares to us God's name as it's made known to us in Jesus Christ. All of the doctrines, all of the exhortations, all of the history, all of the prophecy declaring to us in one way or another the name of God as made known in Jesus Christ. And that means that all heresy is, is a violation of the third commandment, especially heresy with regard to Jesus Christ. When men today deny that Jesus Christ came into the flesh, when it's declared nowadays that Jesus loves all men, that he died on the cross to save all men, that when the gospel goes forth through ministers, it's the desire of God and the desire of Jesus to, to love all men and, and, and to save all men through that preaching of the gospel. And we say, well, what is all of that? Well, it's blaspheming the name of God as contained in scriptures, as it teaches something contrary to the true doctrine and knowledge of Jesus Christ, who is the name of God. And therefore is a violation of the third commandment. And let's not forget that this evil speaking of Jesus didn't only express itself in words, but expressed itself in a very physical way 2,000 years ago 
with the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, when the Jews cried out, crucify him, crucify him, they were saying, we do not want the name of God. We do not want the name of God whom this man claims to represent. They didn't believe in Jesus. They crucified him. And insofar as they rejected Jesus, they rejected the name of God. And that happens nowadays as well. All those who refuse to believe in Jesus as the Son of God revealed to us in the sacred scriptures, or for that matter, who corrupt and distort the truth of Jesus, that's profaning God's name. That's blasphemy against the name of God and simply a modern-day carrying out of what men did long ago in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Well, that brings up the question then, why is this violation of this commandment such a serious matter? So serious a matter that God has commanded that this sin be punished death? And the answer is because of the holiness of God. So that now in the second place this morning, God's name is holy. Because God's name is holy, we may not take God's name in vain. That God's name is holy means that it's, it's set apart from everything else in this world and that it's devoted for a special use. That's what that word holy means. It means to be set apart for a special use and, and, and now set apart from everything. Now, we have earthly things in our lives that we also set apart for a special use. We don't say they're holy. But now, simply using this to, to illustrate, but a man might go out and buy a new Sunday suit. A man, and he uses that Sunday suit only for special occasions, only for going to church on Sunday, maybe for other occasions. But now, what if, if that man, being a farmer, would go out and wear his suit in the tractor, plowing the field, milking the cows, doing the chores. And we shake our head at that man and we say, that's not what those clothes are meant for. And now they're soiled and now they're torn. They were supposed to be for a special use, but he made it to be a common use. Well, that's... That's like God's name. His name is holy and special. His name is dear to him, and he will not have his name to be treated as something that's common, something that's ordinary. To be sure, from an objective point of view, it's impossible to make God's name dirty. It's impossible to soil the name of God, but the point is, is that people try to do it and they try to do that when they take his name in vain. And that's what we see happening here in Ezekiel chapter 36. God says 
to Judah as they are in captivity, you have profaned my holy name. And now the question we have to ask is, how did they do that? How did the Jews profane the name of God? Well, in the first place, it started back in Judah when they were still in Jerusalem because down through the years, through all of the kings of Judah, the holy name of Jehovah was profaned over and over again because of the idolatry of the people. When the people of Judah worshipped idols in place of or instead of the one true and living God, then they were breaking the third commandment and they were profaning the name of God, and they were stating very plainly, we don't think much of the name of Jehovah God. And God punishes the nation of Judah by bringing the Jews into captivity. But then in the second place, the people of Judah profaned God's holy name in, in a more passive way, and that is when they were brought into captivity and you would think that they would have learned their lesson not to profane God's holy name. And in a certain respect, they did. They knew why they were taken into captivity. The prophet Jeremiah earlier made that very clear to the people in Jerusalem uh, why they were being carried away captive. And the Jews, they hung their head in shame. They knew that it was because of all their idolatry. And yet the people of Judah, now being carried away captive to Babylon, though not directly profaning God's name, but yet now they give occasion for others to profane the name of God. And that's verse 20. Ezekiel 36, verse 20. The Babylonians say, these are the people who, who claim to worship Jehovah God and they're gone forth out of his land. And so that's the Babylonians mocking the holy name of God. The Babylonians were saying to the Jews, you are in our control now. And what? Your God wasn't able to keep you in his land because now you are in our land. And people of Judah, is your God really all that strong? Really all that powerful? And so here in Ezekiel 36, we learn then that it's possible for the holy name of God to be profaned, not only actively by our words and by our actions, but then also in a more passive way, when we give occasion for the enemies to think wrongly and thereby to blaspheme the name of our God and our Savior. Now, knowing the holiness of God's name, we will handle the name of God very carefully. Whether it's all of the proper names of God, whether it's the name of God in creation, whether it's the most preeminent way that God reveals his way to us, which is the name of Jesus Christ, that we will handle God's name very carefully. And understanding the holiness of God's name 
then we will not use God's name for in trivial ways and superficial ways. And that's the meaning of that word when the third commandment says, thou shalt not take God's name in vain. To treat God's name as it as if it were empty, as if it were meaningless, to treat God's name as if it were common and ordinary. It would be to take that holy name of God, transcendent, mighty, powerful name, and to bring it down to the level of the common and the ordinary. And that's what people do nowadays. And we hear it all the time, whether it's my God this, my God that, and it's as if it becomes a contest among the people. Whoever can profane the name of God the most frequently becomes the most well-regarded and respected in society. And we as God's people, we don't engage in that behavior. Why not? Because we know something of the holiness God's name. And then, too, of God's name as revealed to us in Jesus. The world loves to profane the name of Jehovah God by profaning the name of Jesus, whether it's saying it outrightly, oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ. And they take that holy name of Jesus they abuse it and we are careful that we do not fall into that type of behavior even with the shortened form of the name Jesus oh geez we don't use that type of language as God's people and then even further the Bible says concerning the name Jesus in John chapter 1 and you children you know what John 1 verse 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The name Jesus is also the name word. And that tells us then as God's people that if we are very careful with the, the name Jesus and that I don't take the name Jesus in vain, well then we as God's people also need to exercise the same self-discipline with regard to this name of Jesus, word, that we do not take God's name in vain with that name of Jesus as well. Now, in all of this, it doesn't mean that we may have, that we may not have any words to express surprise. That's the way the world likes to use God's name, to, to express surprise and astonishment as something, to take God's name in vain. But we don't use the holy name of God to do that. We don't use the holy name of God to do that. Well, why is that? Why isn't it commonplace to, to invoke the name of other gods? Have you ever wondered that? Why isn't it commonplace for people to say, Oh, my Muhammad. Oh, my Allah, oh, oh, my Buddha, or whatever name of some foreign god that you might think of. 
why isn't that commonplace? Well, it's, it's not commonplace because the devil knows that those are no true gods. And there's no sense in dragging those names of those gods through the mud because those gods are nothing. But if the devil can teach the world to take God's name in vain, then he can diminish the glory of God. Then he can turn the people of God away from the holiness of God. And so understanding that God's name is holy will be actively engaged and mentally alert when we come to church to worship God's name. And we, we would even take God's holy name in vain when we say we're worshiping, but our thoughts are way back at home, back at work, thousand miles away. God's name is holy. And beloved, because God's name is holy, we must use God's name. God isn't pleased for us, for him simply to give us his name and then we set it aside and we say, well, if profaning God's name is going to bring down upon me the punishment of God, then I'm not even going to use God's name. I'm not even going to go there. No. That would be an overreaction. God gives us his beautiful, holy name for us to use. And so we do use it. But we use it carefully. And we use it reverently. And we exalt God's name when we believe in Jesus Christ. And when we believe what the scriptures declare of our Savior, that he is God's son, that he has come into the world to do the work of the Father and to save all of those who were given to him from before eternity, all the elect, and that his death was powerful and effectual. And therefore, we believe in this Jesus, our Savior, for all things necessary, for soul and body, in life and in death, in this life and the next. When we believe and confess that, concerning Jesus, our Savior, well, then we are using God's name properly, and we are exalting the name Jehovah. And then there's even a certain aspect in which we use God's name every day as we go about all of our daily living in the things that we do. Even if we don't say a word, and yet we still are saying something about the name of God. And that's what the catechism says in answer 99. That so he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and glorified in all our words and works. And works. God's name is glorified in our works because we use God's name not simply with our mouths, but in our daily conduct and our behavior. And the word of God makes that connection between our daily conversation and the name of God. And we have that later in, in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. 
In 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. So are you a servant? That means are you an employee? Do you have a boss that you report to? Do you have to go to work and report to corporate? All right, then let all servants count their masters worthy of all honor in the way that you perform your work, in your attitude towards your employer. But now why is that? Why must you in all your daily occupation count your masters worthy of, of, of honor? First Timothy 6 verse 1, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So that tells us that the way that you men conduct yourselves at work is not first and foremost about your name and your reputation. But it's first of all about God's name and God's reputation. Because if you do not conduct yourself properly, well, the world sees that. And the world sees that you confess Jehovah God with your mouth. But if your actions do not uh, if your actions speak otherwise, then the result is that the name of God is blasphemed by those observing you. And so we are to use God's holy name, but always to use it with fear and reverence. We are to behave ourselves in a manner that's consistent with the doctrine that we profess so that when the wicked see us in our day-to-day -day lives, they can come to no other conclusion but that there's something different about this man. There's something different about this woman. Something about the, the name of their God that I see and hear in all of their actions and all of their words. And then finally this morning we see the love that God himself has for his own name, because to show himself faithful to his name, and remember his name is Jehovah, God sent his only begotten son into the world for the salvation of his people. If God did not send Jesus Christ, then there would be opportunity for the wicked to say, God is not faithful to his promises. God has abandoned his people. That name, Jehovah, isn't that great. But such is God's love for his own name that he would show himself faithful to all of his promises and send Jesus Christ, the Messiah, into the flesh. And we learn of God's love for his own name from the wording of the third commandment itself. The third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And the love of God comes out here for his own name in the sense that punishes those who take it in vain. The judgment of God comes upon that person 
who takes his name in vain. And that is astounding. And that is quite sobering. The judgment of God not only comes upon that person who commits murder, and we say that person ought to be put away for life. Capital punishment. The judgment of God not only comes upon that person who, who commits adultery and lives in that state impenitently. Well, that's easy for us to see. The judgment of God comes upon those people. But God also pours out his wrath upon those who profane his name and profane the name of his son, Jesus Christ. In the day of judgment, when that blasphemer stands before the judgment seat of Christ, Christ will inquire into how the holy name of God was used by that person. And insofar as that person would be an impenitent profaner, God's holy name, then there is only one verdict the righteous judge will give. Guilty. Guilty for profaning the name of God. And in the third commandment, God says, I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain because God so loves his name. And that, that does serve as a warning for us that this punishment that God has for those who take his name in vain, the warning is not that we are impenitent blasphemers. The warning is not that God dangles before us the threats of hell, but a warning so that we see how very serious a matter this is. God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So that's the warning that God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. There is an implication. The implication is that God will hold that person innocent who uses his name rightly. And what a blessed thing that is. I mean, think of that. One day when you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and when all of our lives will become an open book before him, all our works relating now especially to the way in which we have used God's name, and now the judge, after having examined all your works and all your words, Give the verdict, not guilty, innocent. This man, this woman, this mother, this father, this child, used my name rightly, treated it with fear and reverence. And in all this person's words and works, I see nothing but great honor and respect for my holy name, the name of Jehovah God, enter thou into eternal life. And the reason why we will receive such a verdict is not because we have kept this third commandment in our own strength. In and of ourselves, we are sinners. Each and every one of us 
has profaned the name of God, but Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, has atoned for all our sins, even our sins against the third commandment, and he is the one who has used God's name rightly. He is the one who is God's name, and he was the one who obeyed the Father in laying down his life and covering all our sins and now imputing unto us his righteousness, his obedience. And therefore, on the judgment day, we need not fear because we will stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, do you, do you love your Lord and your Savior? Are you so very thankful for everything that God has done for you in giving you full and free salvation in Jesus Christ? And now God says, here's my name. Use it rightly. Honor it. Reverence it. Glorify me with it. And in thankfulness to God, we receive that name of God. And we say, we will use it rightly to the glory of thy name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallow thy name in our words and in our works that we may give that clear, consistent sound that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and we are lovers of the name of Jehovah God who has saved us. Forgive our sins, forgive all our miseries, and wash us in the blood of Jesus Christ. Impute unto us his righteousness. All this we ask in his name alone. Amen.